Well, before we get to the, uh, the word today, I just want to say, hi, Kalani. <laughs> hi, Tamara. <laughs> and yeah, we've seen you, Brad, but, you know, it's, it's so great to see you guys. We've been praying for you, and we continue to pray for you. I just want to let you know that, that Kalani is overcoming, and, and uh, uh, we're, we're believing for God to do miraculous works like he's already done multiple times in your life. Amen. But, and this is a big but, uh, we want to keep Kalani uh, as safe as she can be, and so she's here, but we're going to ask you, please don't come up and give hugs or touch them. Uh, we just know that we've got to do our part and, and God does his part. So you can look, you can say hi, air hugs, don't touch. Our touch police will be on you. <laughs> oh my, God is so good. Thank you so much for joining us here today and online. I believe that, that uh, in the days that we're living in, it is so important that we make time. We give place and space for God and his word. And that doesn't mean that we just do it on Sundays. Uh, I would no more expect anyone to just consume God's word on Sunday only because they don't do it with physical food. And this is our spiritual food. This is something that, that we need every day. And so what God has for, for us to share here from the Word of God is, is part of what He has for you, but there are things He has for you every day so that you can be strengthened, prepared, provided for to be what He has for you to be and do what He has for you to do. And in the days that we're living in, I don't know how anybody is able to do life without faith in Jesus Christ. Because our world is becoming exactly what the Bible said it would. God warned us that, that the world was going to grow dark and, and gross darkness was going to be on the people. And people were going to become depraved and dangerous, betrayers, haters. That's going on. As a matter of fact, the more we see of what's going on in the Middle East, more people are, are now searching online to find out information about the end times. Are you surprised? Shouldn't be. We are probably part of them too. And, and yet it's a situation that God clearly shows us. In the book of Revelation, in the book of Ezekiel, in the book of Daniel, in the book of Thessalonians, and in the book of Matthew. There are other places too, but these are the main places where we see God revealing what is happening in the days we live in. They were being foretold, but now they're being lived out. And in the things that, that we see going on and have seen going on, uh, there's very little left if anything, that needs to be fulfilled before the return of the Lord. 
As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is asked, what are the signs of your return and the end of the age? And you might want to look this up sometime this week. But he goes through a list of over a dozen characteristics and significant happenings in our world that if you look at all of them, they're all happening. But it, it ends up with him saying, all of these are evident of the end. The love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. And this is what I, I want you to grab a hold of. And it says the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations and then the end will come. The gospel of the kingdom. When we started the series that we're in right now about God's kingdom, one of the things we learned was Jesus, when he began his ministry at the age of 30, what he began to proclaim and teach and preach, the Bible says, was the gospel of the kingdom. And now at the end of times, the gospel of the kingdom needs to continue on. And yet, one of the things that we, we struggle with is kingdom. We really don't have a reference point in America for a kingdom, what a kingdom is. And a kingdom is where a king, a sovereign, the highest of all in that community or kingdom has his way. Everything he wants is done. He makes his choice. Everybody follows it. They respect the king. They respect the kingdom. They respect the king's word and will. And if they don't, what do you think happens? off with their head. Do you know what? That's absolutely true in a lot of kingdoms. But God will never take off our head. Because as Christians, the Bible tells us that our head is Christ. And our head, just like in our body, our head is where all the information comes from for the body to function properly. And we need to be listening, attentive, available to our head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in these days, it's very hard to recognize what is truth and what is not true. Because everybody's saying, I I'm telling you the truth. Come to me, I'll tell you the truth. But there is only one place that we can truly go to without exception and find truth. And one characteristic of truth is it never changes. Very much like what the Bible says about Jesus. The same yesterday, today, and forever. But the truth comes from God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And today, we need truth. We need truth because there are all sorts of things out there that sound good, that look good, that seem right, 
and yet it's not. And that's what's bringing the instability and the craziness in our world. The people are following their own truth, which is not truth at all, and so they're following deception. And where there's deception, there's loss. And so we've been learning about the kingdom of God, seeing where many of us have prayed this without even thinking about it. Our Father, who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And they, the words come off our lips, but they don't live in our heart. And we need to be people that are living in this world, but are not of this world. We are currently here, but we're citizens of heaven. That means our life doesn't depend on what goes on here. We're ambassadors, and as any ambassador going to a foreign country, their welfare is not based on that country. It's based on the country they came from. Their support, their strength, their protection, their provision comes from the country that they came from, that they are representing. And you're representing heaven. You're representing God Almighty, and there's nothing that God can't do. And as we see economies crash and, and, and wars and rumors of wars, like Matthew 24 says, and earthquakes and famines, it will terrorize people that have no faith in Christ. But it should just confirm in us the times we're living in. And assure us that God revealed this, not to scare us, but to prepare us. So that we can be rock solid when everything else is falling apart. And we've learned about, about the kingdom of God and, and how Jesus spoke about the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is, is spoken about more in the, the book of Matthew, chapter 13, than any other place in the Bible. And we've looked at that. Jesus addressed the crowds and, and spoke parables about the kingdom. And then he addressed his disciples. And, and we've looked at this. But I just want to remind you that in verse 44 through 46 of Matthew 13, he says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. Okay? Or a priceless, flawless and the people that recognized this treasure were willing to exchange everything they had collected in their lives up to that point to exchange it, sell it, so that they could get this one treasure. Now, this is what Jesus is explaining to his disciples and saying, this is how valuable, this is how important the kingdom of God should be in your life. Now, just like anything, when a child comes into this world, the child comes in with everything they need, every piece, and they're born. We're born again into the kingdom of God by grace, through faith, and it's a gift. But once we're in the kingdom of God, just like a child in this world, if that child doesn't nourish, get nourished, 
if that child doesn't exercise and choose to make choices to develop itself, then it's going to stay a child forever and not attain what it was created to be and not do what that child was created to do. The potential is wasted. And every child of God, every human being has a potential that is known only by God, their creator. And we need to look to God and listen to God and give ourselves to God, not just in salvation, but every day so that he can develop the potential that he put in us that no one else knows, including us. The truth is you're a world changer. If you're a child of God, you are a world changer. And I'm not going to ask for hands because every hand would probably go up, I would expect. If I were to say to you, did you, did you know you were a world changer? Do you feel like a world changer? And I think most of us would say, no, you got the wrong person. But God doesn't make mistakes. And you may not go to India or to Russia or to the Middle East or to Europe or to the Caribbean, but you're already in a place that needs God. Right here. That's the world we're here to change. Not by might, not by power, not by rhetoric but by his spirit who is at work in us to will and to do his good pleasure. We have to give up to go up. We have to choose to lay aside the, the old things to be able to move into the new things that God has. And so with, with what Jesus was saying about the treasure, that treasure we found out it, it, in definition means a deposit, something that, that enhances, enriches, and elevates our lives. And there are many things we look to as treasure that we think is going to enrich or enhance or elevate our lives, and they do temporarily. But there is only one thing that will enrich, enhance, and elevate our lives now and forever, eternally. And that's God and his kingdom and his word. And so we, we've been, been looking at this and learning about this. We saw how it happened with Paul, that he came into relationship with Jesus Christ. He received Jesus as his Lord when, when he didn't know who he was, but he called him Lord, and from that point on, he started to be transformed. And as his life changed, his treasure changed. The things that he saw so much value and potential in in his life, he said, you know, it's just dog dung. But what had become valuable to him at this point was knowing Christ, was following Christ was being who he had for him to be and doing what he had for him to do. And that happens with all of us. As we grow chronologically, physiologically, 
Our treasures change. We're changing and our treasures change. But once we get to the one true treasure, we don't need any more, any other treasures. And that one true treasure is God, his kingdom, and his word. And Jesus was constantly being followed by massive crowds. There were, there were the years of his popularity. And people were following him because he did miracles, because he healed people, because of a lot of different things. And Jesus wasn't into crowds. Contrary to what many churches today are, are all about, it's about numbers. And numbers are fine, but not for the sake of numbers. What Jesus wanted was not to be able to count the masses, but see them transformed. See them become content in him and in his kingdom. And in one situation in Matthew cha or Luke chapter 9, we, we looked at this last week, but we're going to start off here. But before we get there, let's just bow and, and ask God to speak to our hearts. Heavenly Father, we know that you're here. Your word says where two or more are gathered, you are there. But Father, it's not just your presence. There's no place any human being can go that you're not there. Even, even it says if we made our bed in hell, you are there but we're just unaware. And Father, it really is hell when we go through life unaware of you. But Father, help us not just be aware of your presence, but Father, speak to our hearts, our minds, our circumstances and situations, your word of truth, your word of life. That Father, we would be transformed as we allow your word to dwell richly in us. And Father, today we thank you for the miracles, signs, and wonders that you'll confirm your word with. We thank you for people being healed and set free. We thank you for revelation. And even courage and determination rising up in your people so that transformation would continue in our lives and take us from glory to glory. We thank you, Father, for all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, so in verse 21, or I'm sorry, 57, he, he says, now it happened as they journeyed on the road, someone said to him, now they're just walking along, this crowd is with him, and somebody says to him this, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. Now that sounds good at, at face value. But then Jesus knows what this person is, is about. And he says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And what he's letting this guy know is, you've just made this statement, this proclamation, you'll follow me wherever I go, but it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be convenient. Are you still willing to follow? You know, we all have to ask, answer that question for ourselves. If we're going to call him Lord, but we pick and choose what we do, then he's really not Lord of our life. And I will tell you that these messages that, that I'm sharing now, I am, 
I am just very aware of the timeliness of this because we're moving rapidly towards the return of our Lord. He's coming back for us, the church, without spot or wrinkle. That means there's a work that, that the Spirit of God is doing in our lives to help get the world out of us and get us as ambassadors into the world because people need to hear and see the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for them. Another person Jesus turns to and he says, follow me, just like he said to every one of his disciples, everyone he would walk up to, the fisherman, the tax collector, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. Go ahead. And the man said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus told him, let the dead bury the dead, their own dead, and you go and preach the kingdom of God. At face value, we found out it looks like it's a good thing to do. It's an honorable thing to do. It's the right thing to do because we're supposed to honor our mother and father. But in the original translation, in the words that were used, the scholars indicate that this was something that hadn't happened and might not happen for a long time. And what was being indicated was this man was waiting for his father to die so that he could receive his inheritance so he wouldn't have to be concerned about following Jesus without provision. How many of us get a little nervous when God gives us a direction to do something that might jeopardize our financial stability? Like tithing. I mean, come on. When we go out to eat, do you not tip your waiter? And, and it's not 10%. Some places now, there are no tips anymore. They just incorporate it in your bill. And if we're going to, and I'm not saying they don't deserve it. If they're doing good service, they deserve a good tip. But we shouldn't think of tipping God. God gave it all to us. And I thought Taylor did a great job in helping us understand how it, it affects the heart of our Father, our Heavenly Father, when we are willing to give him just 10%. And think about it. Is that 10% better in your pocket or in God's kingdom? That's the right answer, but a lot of times we think, if it's here, I'll be a lot safer. No. The Bible says when we hold back that 10%, we're robbing God. And I'm not, please understand, I'm not saying that because I'm trying to get something from you. I am hoping that you'll hear truth and experience freedom to be able to receive everything God has instead of robbing God and robbing yourself of what God has for you. But he says to him, Lord. Now, the word Lord means supreme in authority, controller, Master, 
The Bible tells us we can't serve two masters. Owner, commander, and head. And Jesus is the head of the church. In Colossians 1.18, it says he is the head of the, the body, the church, and he should have preeminence in all things. And we, we studied about preeminence, learning that preeminence means to be first, before all other things in value. Nothing we would treasure or value before God. In rank, as far as there's nothing higher in our lives. And in influence. Nothing should influence us more or outrank God in our lives, including us. And so he calls him Lord, but we see him saying, but, but, if he's Lord, then there's no but. Let me first. The moment we deal with us over him, he's not in the right place and neither are we. And if there's something that we say first has to come before our Lord, then everything's out of alignment too. And if you've never driven a car that has a tire out of alignment, you'll not really understand, but, but it's not comfortable. There's a wear that occurs because the alignment isn't right. And some of our lives are out of alignment with God and they're not wearing well. So it's time to get realigned where God has for us to, where he is Lord when we call him Lord. He is first in value and rank and influence. But that's going to require change in our lives. I'm not saying change in your life. I'm saying change in our lives because none of us have attained this, but we're rapidly moving between to the return of the Lord, and we need to be the church without spot or wrinkle. It needs to be a cleansing work, an aligning work that God's doing in our lives and in the lives of our brothers and sisters. And then he says to another, Another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and bid farewell to those who are at my house. Again, the same thing, Lord, supreme in authority, controller. And, you know, I, I, when I read that in the definition, I thought, you know, that, that doesn't hit me really well. Because... I think all of us want to be in control. We don't want to give control to anybody else, even God. Or I guess that's just me. Supreme in authority, controller, master, owner, commander, head. If he's not that in our lives, then he's really not Lord of our lives. And whatever else we choose to let control our lives, ourselves, our feelings, the information on the internet, 
It is not going to do what only God can do. And it's important in these days, in these hours, in whatever time we have left before the Lord returns, that we are letting our Lord Jesus build his church that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Build you, build me, build us in a way that would fortify us, stabilize us, strengthen us, impart to us and empower us to be the representatives of the kingdom of God in this fallen and failing world. Because they need to see the only one that can make a difference in their life here and a difference in their life eternally. And so he, he is being called Lord, but he is not. They're addressing him as what they know he should be called, but they're not treating him the way he should be treated if he is Lord. There wouldn't be any, but first, but first, me, I. Then in verse 62, in the Passion Translation, it says, Jesus responded, why do you keep looking back to your past and have second thoughts about following me. If you turn back, you are not fit for God's kingdom. Now, the first thing I want to look at is fitness. When somebody is fit, what does that indicate? They're in shape. You know, they're, they're good to go. Not broken down, not limping, not, they're good to go. But how many people get fit without any effort? If you're going to be fit, you have to put in time. You have to put in effort. There's usually an expense that's associated with it if you're buying equipment or going to a gym. And then there has to be the discipline to continue to do what you know is going to get you fit. The exercise, the diet, the sleep regimen, all of those things are part and parcel with getting fit. You leave one of those things out and our fitness isn't what it could be. And how many of you know you can't get anybody else fit if they don't want to? Right? God will never force us to get fit. But God will be our greatest advocate and cheerleader in our fitness. But we're the ones that have to choose how valuable that is to us. Or how it's not very valuable. That other things have become more valuable. But he says, why do you keep looking back to your past and having second thoughts about following me? I will tell you in my life, I, I was saved when I was young, but I didn't grow until I got older. 
And as I got older and I recognized there was a choice I had to make, whether I was going to grow in God or I was just going to have fire insurance. I just wanted to go to heaven, not hell. But I didn't want to live for the Lord in this earth. I wanted to do my own thing and get all the goodies at the end of my life. And, and I realized... that I have come into the kingdom of God, and this was years later, I've come into the kingdom of God, I've been saved, now I'm in the kingdom of God, but I'm living like the world in the kingdom. And, and when we come into the kingdom of God, it's all new. We've got to adjust to a new kingdom, a new and living way of doing things, new vocabulary, new authority, new responsibility, And I didn't want to make a change. And I wasn't any different than the people I read about in the Bible. As people in general. Israel was rescued from Egypt. They were delivered from Egypt. They went into the wilderness. The wilderness was not supposed to be 40 years long. It was supposed to be weeks or months. But because of Israel not trusting God, they kept going until they realized they needed to trust God. And so they were delivered out of Egypt. And one of the first places in the wilderness, they got to the place where their food that they brought with them ran out. And they started complaining. This is an exodus. Started complaining about how they, God brought them out to, to kill them. Now, we know God didn't bring them out to kill them. God brought them out to bless them. Right? Where, where was God leading them? To the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. There was greater blessing than they had, than they had ever seen or or imagined. And they're so deceived because they're so focused on themselves. Well, he just brought us out here to kill us. And then they say something that is astounding. We wish we were back in Egypt. With, it says flesh pots. But what it's indicating is pots overflowing with meat. And all the bread we can eat. Now, that wasn't even true. They didn't have an abundance of food. And it wasn't just a vacation. What was happening to the Israelites in Egypt? Slave labor. And as time went on, when Moses went in to say, let God's people go, they made it harder on the Israelites. The last part of their their, uh, detainment in Egypt was horrific. They were beating them. They were making them make bricks without all the parts they needed. They weren't feeding them well. And God delivers them. And now they're like, we want to go back to that. It would be really much better for us to be back there than with you. That's what they're saying to him. 
And sometimes we as Christians look back longingly saying, you know what? I really want to go back to that. I'll tell you, there were times I wanted to go back to my alcoholic days because I, I just wanted to medicate myself. And I was thinking about one segment and not about all the times I woke up and didn't know where I was and how bad I felt after I did what I did and how unsure I was of what I did and the damage I had done to my wife, to my career. That's deception. Now, when I say damage to my wife, I didn't touch her. But just putting her through watching me go through what I went through was damaging to her. And Israel is looking back to Egypt. They're slave. They were slaves there. Another person that looked back was Lot's wife. Remember Lot? He went with his uncle Abraham, was prospered by God, and ended up they had so much they had to space out. And one was over here and one was over here. But Lot took an area that seemed good, and it was moving him closer and closer to, does anybody remember where he was close to? Sodom and Gomorrah one of the most corrupt cities in the world at that time. And angels came in to rescue Lot and his family from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah because the, the evil and the sin that was being done in these cities was so prolific that God said, wiping them out. And the angels come in and grab Lot by his hand and his wife and daughters and start to lead him out. But he says, they say to them, don't look back. Now, I don't always understand what I'm told, why I'm told what I'm told. But if somebody is someone I trust, then I don't have to understand it. When somebody knows more than I do, which is a lot of people, I, I will listen to them and say, oh, okay, all right, I don't understand, but all right. Because I know you're not telling me that just to control me. I know you're telling me that for my benefit. And the angels told them, don't look back. And they're leading them out. They get them out into the plane, and all of a sudden, there's a pause and we don't even know her name except she's Lot's wife. And she turns and she looks back. And in the original text, what it's in inferring is she looked back with longing and care. And she turned into a pillar of salt. Why would you long and care about something that is an abomination to God. 
that God says is sin and the wages of sin is death. Listen, I don't understand everything, but I will make this declaration. I trust God more than I trust my own understanding. I don't agree with everything I read, but I will do what the word of God says because Jesus is my Lord. Because if I won't align myself with God, his kingdom, and his word, then Jesus really isn't my Lord. As much as I might say, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. But I can get a parrot to do that. But that parrot is not going to follow what the word of God says. And I, as a believer in Jesus, am to follow him. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the light. And right now, we live in a world that tells us all this and all that and all the other things. They're right. They're okay. They're good. And I don't have the knowledge or the ability to say whether it is or isn't apart from what I see in the Word of God. And whether it is or isn't doesn't negate the value of anyone. It's not what we do that makes us valuable. It's who put the value on us, which is God. And he said every human being is equal to the priceless value of his son. And that doesn't change. But God doesn't agree with anything that's not true and not beneficial to human beings. And we live in a time that are, there are all sorts of things that, that we're hearing from experts and, and this one and that one that this is, this, is, this, is, this is right, this is good. And it's not much different than what happened in the book of Judges where everybody did what was right in their own sight. There was relative truth. And we live in a time that truth is relative, but truth is not relative. It's not related to any individual. It's related to one, and that's God. God is the one who has and holds truth. And you know, this is, this is, a, this is a, a caustic, statement you're not fit for the kingdom if you look back it's a challenging statement it's a shocking statement but do you know throughout the life of Jesus in the earth the three years of his ministry he would say things that absolutely shocked people that angered people that caused people to say that's it I'm done over but do you know what? When people turned around and left Jesus, Jesus said they left because they were never really with us. And we're coming into a time, we are in a time, where people are leaving. And I'm not talking about the church, but that's happening. But it's one of the indicators of the last days, the great apostasy. People will turn away from God, who have walked with him, 
And it could happen to any one of us if we choose something to value or hold above God, his kingdom, and his word. Because the moment we choose something other than him and his kingdom and his word, we are already starting off the off-ramp. And God will not force us to stay where we don't want to stay. But it breaks his heart. There, there is a moment in time, and, and you can read it in Luke 14, but it is it was one of the most striking things I've ever read in the Word of God that I just closed my Bible and I said, that was it. I, I can't read anymore. Because I didn't have the understanding. But he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate. Now, where are we told in the world to hate? We're told in the world to hate all sorts of things. But God says hate. And that didn't compute because he said, you've got to hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your sister, your brother. And I thought, hold it. Nobody's ever said that. I've never seen this. I don't understand it. Because it is in opposition to what the Bible says. The Bible tells us we're supposed to honor our father and mother. To love our brothers and sisters. To even love our enemies. And this is why we can't just read the, the, the scriptures in our language without really studying them out. Because when you study it out, that word hate. Now, if, if I say I hate something, what would that indicate to you? How much care do I have about it? I, I, no, I have no care for it. As a matter of fact, I am antagonistic towards it. I am really against it. But that's not what this means. It literally means to love less. And what this is showing us is in our relationship with God, Jesus is saying unless you love less, significantly less, that it would even look like hate compared to how much you love God, you love less your father, mother, your wife, your husband, your children, your sister, your brother. This is God helping us understand perspective on how we should value and love God above and before and beyond anyone or anything. Because we can't make it without putting God first. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things will be added. And then in, in down farther in that chapter, he says, unless you're, you forsake all. And that word forsake means to surrender our claim to. If we are servants of the Most High God, we're citizens in the kingdom, but we're servants of the Most High God, and Paul called himself a love slave. Now, when we talk about slaves or servants, what do they have? And where does it come from? comes from their master. And there's nothing they can lay claim to, but their master takes care of them. And I'm not talking about the slavery that we're, we've had in this world because man's slavery is, is an abomination. 
But I'm talking about the care that God gives to us who are in his kingdom. And there is no one that can give to us what God does. And there's nothing we need outside of God. When God is the only thing we have, truly the only thing we have, we're going to realize he's the only thing we need. But as long as we have all this other stuff, then we're, we're going to struggle with saying, you know, I don't, I don't need God in that. But shocking, shocked people. Grabs their attention. He did it with a bunch of his disciples in John chapter 6, where he said, I'm the bread of life. You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood or you'll have no part in me. And they didn't understand it. And what happened in that moment was, because they didn't understand it, they said something. They said, these are hard sayings. Who can understand them? And in that moment, they made a decision that they turned back. It says they turned back and they walked no more with Jesus. We're told in the Bible, don't, that we're not supposed to lean on our own understanding. That we're to trust in the Lord with our whole heart. And yet today, we have so much access to figuring things out, to getting information from a variety of sources, and yet the only source that is really going to be true in our lives, whether we like it or not, is God and his word, his kingdom. And this is a decision we all have to make. Somewhere along the line, we have to say, all right, I've called Jesus my Lord. Now it's time for me to live his lordship. Not just sporadically, not just when I agree with what he says. I am going to align myself with his word even though I don't like it. Because the Bible tells us his word is the word of life. I'm going to align myself. I'm going to do what he says no matter how many people tell me something else. Because the last time I checked, there's nobody that can get you into heaven but Jesus. And if all we're living for is this life, we are so deceived. We sang the last song we sang here today in praise and worship. What was it about? I should know better than that. About building our house on the rock, right? And that, that nothing can take that house down. And I want us to look at that today because he makes a, a kind of a shocking statement. In Matthew chapter 7 where this is, is told to his disciples. But he starts out in verse 1. He says, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven. How do we find out our Heavenly Father's will? The Bible. You know, a lot of people want God to, to guide them and lead them and, and, and you know, be, be kind of their personal attache. 
and won't read the word. And until we read the word and know the word, he's not going to give us some crazy instructions because we could get information from the enemy. And we don't know it's not true because we don't know the truth. We are at the time right now in America, I don't know about the world, but in America, we are the most biblically illiterate generation ever. When the survey was done to find out how often do people read their Bibles, how many of them read their Bibles regularly, it was less than 5%. And regularly doesn't mean we open them up in church. But how will we ever know and be aware of what deception is if we don't know truth. How will we ever have Jesus be Lord of our life, supreme in authority, controller, master, owner, commander, head, if we don't know what he said? And I understand there's not a person in here that I, I imagine doesn't have a full schedule, a busy life. But I will tell you the quality of our lives will continue to trend down if we don't make time for his word. And this is, this is a wake-up call. This is God's word to us to say, hey, I've got great things ahead for you to do. But there's a preparation before you go out and do it. Because we're walking into a fallen world that believes all sorts of things. And it's not their fault. They don't have any other reference that's more important to them than the talking heads on TV or on the internet. And so they, they get whatever they get wherever they go, but they're not necessarily getting truth. And we who proclaim Jesus as Lord need to show the lordship of Jesus in our life by the life we live according to the word. Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because the very nature of the kingdom is the king is in control. But only those who actually do the will of my father in heaven so the will of our Father is found in the Word. Psalm 119, 162 tells us something that relates very much to Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 through 46. The psalmist says, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. And what does that treasure do? That word treasure is a deposit. It is what enriches and enhances and elevates our life. The Word of God helps lift us up.
helps us overcome. And then looking farther down in Matthew 7, verse 24 and 25, Jesus begins to tell them what we sang in the last song. Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Do you know what people think about people who follow the word of God, the Bible? They think they're idiots. They think they've been deceived. That's how deceived the world we live in is. They think the word of God is antiquated. It's not applicable to our lives today. That we progress beyond the word of God. I'm telling you, if you progress beyond God, you're in trouble. But the one who listens and does, follows the teachings, God's word is like one who builds a house on a rock. And though the rains came in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house. This is all the things that are going on in our world right now that are bringing the most fear, stress, anxiousness, instability in lives and in families, in cities, in countries. Things are being ripped apart because there's no substance to them. Nothing that is rock solid. But this says these things are going to happen, and they are. But if the house is built on the rock, these things come and they do their best to destroy it. But it won't collapse because it's built on what? The rock. The bedrock, something that is solid, unchanging. The only thing that will keep us stable in our lives is the Word of God, the kingdom of God, the King of the kingdom. And we have to make that decision every day. What are we, what are we building our lives on? What are we doing to fortify ourselves against the winds of the world that are just ripping things apart? The rains that are flooding and destroying. Now, I'm not talking about physical. I'm talking about what's going on in our world, in our society, among people. We've never seen the world so connected and so divided. You can find out anything about almost anybody at any time, and yet we are so against so much. The enemy is really doing a masterful job in the work that he's doing. And now it's time for us as Christians to let God do the work in us that he has longed to do and we have needed done and the world needs to see. It goes on to say in verse 26 and 27, it ends with this. But anyone who hears my teachings and does not obey it, does not obey it, is foolish. 
like a person who builds his house on the sand. When the rains and the floods came and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And we're seeing that. We're seeing people. Their lives are caving in. Their hope is being lost. Their security and stability is gone. Because what they believe, what they put their faith in, what they put their trust in, what they built their lives on was not stable, was not eternal. This is only a small part of life. And God is giving us what we need to live for eternity already in this part of life. And that's why we can experience what heaven has to give right here and right now. And people will begin to look at us and say, well, I, you know, I thought you were crazy, but you got stuff I need. I need that joy. I need that peace. I need that hope. I need that stability. I need that strength. And we have to be the ones that are able to tell them, you know what? It's not something I have innately. It didn't originate in me. It originates in the one I have put my trust, my whole life trust in. The one that... I don't just look to when I'm over my head. I look to for everything because he's my master. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my all. And nothing and no one comes anywhere near the value and the priority and the influence that he has in my life. I'd like every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, a lot of times we come to church and we, we want, we think we need, I need a word. And you know, God always wants us to have our ears and hearts open to receive the word he has for us. And sometimes what we want is not what we need. Sometimes what we need is something that will stretch us and challenge us and reposition us to get to where God knows we need to be. But it doesn't happen if we aren't willing to let God have his way. And today, if you're here and you have never turned to God to trust in God or watching online, you're still running your own life. You're, you're doing your own thing. God will not make you stop and do his thing. God is forever patient and waiting for us to turn to him, trust in him, and turn over our lives to his control, not ours. Because if we're leading, he's not. And if he's leading, we're not. And we've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, not 
having our own control. And today we're going to pray, and I want to invite you, if you've never prayed to receive Christ as your Lord, I invite you to pray. I'm going to invite everybody to pray here and you online to have a new beginning, to have a new and living way to walk in, to become a new creation in Christ where you're cleansed and can be cleansed from the things that we know we get tripped up in. be set free and experience abundant life and bring that abundant life to other people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus. Today, Lord Jesus, I recognize I'm in need of a Savior. I've sinned. And I come to you right now and thank you for dying on the cross to pay the price for my sin. Today, Lord Jesus, I repent. I turn to you. I turn over to you my life. It is not my own. I give it to you today. From this day forward, I am yours. You are mine. You are my glorious, victorious, risen Savior, Lord, and Master. Thank you for saving me. Lord Jesus, guide me, guard me, govern me, help me to learn your word, your ways, and your kingdom. Thank you for abundant life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer here, let somebody know. Maybe, maybe you've, you've received Jesus as your Lord, but you know you've gotten off track and you needed to get realigned. Let somebody know that they can, they can celebrate the realignment because if we're not realigned, we just wear out. If you prayed online, let us know. Uh, go to the website, reslifeny.org. Scroll down to where the prayer requests are. Let us know that you prayed so that we can be praying for you. If you want us to pray for you by name, give us your name. And if you want us to contact you, give us some contact information. Would you stand? I want to thank you for coming today. I believe that we've heard God's word. And now as we leave, it's not just, you know, that was great, now I'm to lunch. It's about taking what God fed us. And I say that incredibly humbly because if somebody gets something out of it, it's because I was able to get out of the way and God had his way. But we have to take what God gave us. Now we have to apply it. This is where our work begins. Because I have to do it too. But we live out what God deposits in us. 
And that's an every day, everywhere, every way kind of work. Amen? But I want to pray for you before you go. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for each and every one of your children. Thank you for working in us to will and to do your good pleasure. Thank you, Father, for your spirit who abides in us, who energizes and imparts to us as we allow you to have your way, your fruit develops in us for the benefit of everyone else and for your glory. But Father, help us to, in our daily lives and the dailiness of life, help us to recognize you're there and you care. Help us to also be aware that all the people around us you love as priceless treasures. Help, help us to see them as you see them. Love them as you love them. Care for them as you care for them. And help them to see and know you. Father, we thank you. We thank you for going ahead of us and preparing the way. Walking every step along the way and being our rear guard. Until we get together again, Father, we thank you that you are with us and for us, and nothing can stand against us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.